Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. On this week's episode, I'll cover a Windows update that has been causing problems for users of .NET Framework on Windows 10 and Windows 11, a new malware leveraging RDP's multimedia redirection feature to exfiltrate data, and a major bank has announced its plan to downsize their headquarters in a sign that a long-term remote work strategy may be embraced. For this and more, keep listening to this episode, which of course is brought to you by my sponsors, and that includes ControlUp, providing end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. WinBuzzer.com reported this week that a recent Windows update, KB5028608, has caused some problems for users of .NET Framework on Windows 10 and Windows 11. One of the main problems reported was that updates caused the anti-malware software by Malwarebytes to block Google Chrome. This was due to a change in the way that .NET Framework handles X.509 certificates. Prior to the update, .NET Framework would simply import the certificate without any additional validation. However, the update added some additional validation, which caused Malwarebytes to flag Chrome as a threat. Microsoft has now released an out-of-band patch to address this issue, so if you are affected, you will need to grab that update and deploy it as is typical for an out-of-band patch. These are not made available via the automatic Windows Update service. You need to go grab it and deploy it. As I recorded last week's episode of the podcast, there were multiple reports of a Microsoft 365 outage again. This time, that outage was in the West Europe region. And that particular outage was reportedly caused by a data center situated in Germany that Microsoft stated was, quote, not performing at optimal performance thresholds, end quote. So they mitigated that by increasing the resources for the region. Unfortunately, at the time of scripting this week's episode of the podcast, the Outlook web client was experiencing an outage in North America. In this instance, the Microsoft 365 status page was stating a mitigation was attempted, but failed. So they were testing another mitigation and hoped to have this deployed soon, which at the time of recording this episode, that fix had been deployed and it appears that it had been working. However, the outage had been going on for over six hours before that was even deployed. So unfortunately, another rough week for Outlook and Outlook users. Microsoft have confirmed an issue in Windows 11 which can cause high CPU usage when using the effective access feature after installing KB5026368 and KB5026372 updates, and that's for Windows 11 version 21H2 and 21H2. Microsoft is working on a permanent solution that should roll out this month, but WindowsCentral.com reports restarting your device or signing out of the affected user 
may mitigate the issue. Richard Hicks shared on Twitter that he believes long-standing issues with the always-on VPN connection, uh, with it being removed or replaced on each device sync, has been resolved with the latest update, stating his own initial testing looks good. He asks anyone else out there to confirm his findings. And you can find him on Twitter, at Richard Hicks, and I'll share a link to that tweet. So if you want to see it for yourself and maybe reply to his tweet, if you've done some testing with the recent build, please provide feedback to Richard. BleepyComputer.com shared a pretty extensive dive into a new RD Stealer malware that steals data from drives shared via multimedia redirection in remote desktop sessions. The five modules that comprise this RD Stealer is a keylogger, a persistence establisher, a data theft and exfiltration staging module, a clipboard content capturing tool, and one controlling encryption and decryption function, plus logging and file manipulation utilities. And upon activation, they report that RD Stealer enters an infinite loop of calling the disk mounted function, which checks for the availability of the C, D, E, F, G, or H drives on the slash slash TS client network shares. And if it finds any, it notifies the C2 server, the command server, and starts exfiltrating data from the connected RDP client. Bitdefender did the research and have shared a complete list of the indicators of compromise in their report. So defenders are recommended to take note and apply multiple layers of overlapping security measures. This was a pretty interesting one as it's essentially using uh, the RDP protocol to reach through and grab files that are actually on client devices because those get presented through with multimedia redirection in through the RDP session. So that's pretty interesting. I mean, I tend to disable that RDP redirection now because I've just noticed that performance can really suck when you're using Explorer if you have it enabled. Uh, so this might be extra reason to disable that, although I'm sure that's not an option for everyone. BleepyComputer.com also reported on the fact numerous LastPass users have reported getting locked out of their accounts and then they were unable to access their LastPass vaults. The problem started when users were logged out of their accounts and prompted to reset their MFA. LastPass stated the forced logout plus MFA resync events are taking place as they increase all customers' password iterations, and this has to do with the encryption of LastPass vaults. Unfortunately, even after resetting MFA, some users reported being unable to access their accounts and LastPass have suggested that you must log into the LastPass website in your browser and re-enroll your MFA application before you can access LastPass on your mobile device again. You cannot re-enroll using the LastPass browser extension or the LastPass password manager app. And the next time you log into a website or an app using LastPass, you will be prompted to verify your location too. When you log in to a website or an app where you use LastPass to log into, you must enter your credentials again and authenticate using your authenticator. As part of the same process, users will be required to re-enter their login credentials and authenticate themselves again using their authenticator app. So multiple different steps in this security hardening, which is obviously a positive thing, but it's left a bad taste in the mouth of LastPass customers who've already been through a lot uh, this was a very jarring experience, and I saw many tweets of people saying, that's it, 
they're leaving and they're going to find another password manager. Google have filed an official grievance against Microsoft with the FTC, claiming that Microsoft uses deceptive tactics in order to secure deals for its Azure cloud business. It forms part of an inquiry by the FTC to seek opinions on activities that could be anti-competitive. The company has accused Microsoft of attempting to influence the cloud computing market by restricting clients' freedom to switch services, according to a report by OnMSFT.com. In the complaint, Google targeted Microsoft by asserting that its dominance in the market through the deployment of Windows Server and Microsoft Office makes it challenging for its extensive client base to opt for anything other than Azure cloud infrastructure. The search giant further described the restrictions imposed by Microsoft's complicated licensing framework as a hindrance to companies seeking to diversify their enterprise software vendors. In addition to this, Google went on to bring forth the issue of significant national security and cybersecurity risks arising from such a level of control by Microsoft. It outlined a series of cyber attacks, including the SolarWinds breach, linked to Microsoft products as a matter of concern. So that last part is certainly an interesting approach, and it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this all plays out. By the time that you listen to this episode, you should see the ability to manage drivers and firmware updates in your Intune tenant is available in your Intune tenant, which now eliminates the need to manually download, repackage and deploy drivers using generic tools. Instead, you can take advantage of driver update management policies and reports built on the Windows Update for Business deployment service and made available in Intune. This is something I reported on in previous episodes of the podcast when it was in a public preview state, but now it is generally available. An optional Windows update for Windows 10, KB5027293, has been introduced, which brings some new features and fixes to improve a total of 14 different items in Windows 10. Highlighted in this release is the update addresses an issue that affects the on-screen keyboard. The issue stops from opening after you lock the machine. Uh, There's an update that adds a new feature to Windows Defender that allows admins to forcibly release devices from isolation when they become unresponsive. Uh, You can now authenticate across Microsoft Clouds. The feature also satisfies conditional access checks if they are needed, plus more. For a full rundown on what's available in this optional update, I'll share a link with this episode, which is episode 288. You'll find that at 5bytespodcast.com. Version 2306 of the Windows development environment is now available. This version is based on Windows 11 Enterprise SKU build number 22621.1848. If you're not familiar with the development environment, Microsoft provides a virtual machine instance of Windows 11 for developers that is free of charge and can be used in three-month cycles. The VM includes... Visual Studio 2022 Community Edition with the UWP.NET Desktop, Azure, and Windows App SDK for C-Sharp workloads enabled. Windows Subsystem for Linux 2 enabled with Ubuntu installed and pinned to the taskbar. Windows Terminal installed and and Windows Developer Mode enabled. And it's supported on VMware Workstation and VMware Player, second generation Hyper-V, VirtualBox, and Parallels. You will need at least 70 gigs of free space and a minimum of 8 gigs of RAM to run this version though. 
Microsoft is expanding support for pass keys in Windows 11 to make it more secure to log into websites and apps using biometric authentication. The Windows 11 Insider Preview Build 23486 release pushed to the dev channel has passwordless improvements allowing customers to sign into their accounts using pass keys and Windows Hello. Pass keys are said to offer a more secure and convenient alternative to passwords as they allow using personal identification numbers or PINs uh, or biometric authentication like fingerprints or facial recognition to log into websites and apps, according to a report from bleepycomputer.com. This will eliminate the need to remember and manage multiple passwords, enhancing overall security and improving the user experience. There have been some new releases in the Sys internals tools, including Sysmon version 15 has been released, and this update provides hardening against tampering and adds a new event, file executable detected, for when new executable images are saved to files and fixes a hang occurring in certain situations due to an interaction between network and file system events. So if you're using Sysmon as a monitoring tool for security purposes, it looks like there's some improvements here for that. And also there's been an update to auto runs, which fixes a bug with detecting non-shortcut files in startup folders and fixes a bug with handling non-UNC, non-absolute paths and improves theming support. And Process Monitor also has several different fixes, uh, including a fix for crashing on loading of certain PML files and also improves boot logging. So it seems like kind of minor updates, but eh, updates all the same. And finally, in the news for this week, it was reported that HSBC, which is a large bank in the United Kingdom, will be downsizing its headquarters in London and moving away from the financial district in Canary Wharf, uh, with the move likely to Panorama St. Paul's in the city of London a building that was formerly an office for telecoms group BT, which is significant because it seems like Canary Wharf in particular is being hard hit with recent office vacancies. Now, it depends what outlet you get your news from on reasons why the switch is happening. But to me, the most obvious reason is the realization that there is no longer a need to have an entire workforce in the office and remote work for at least some of the employees is possible. Thus, no need for such a large office building that's capable of housing the entirety of the staff. Uh, my guess is HSBC are fortunately in a position where their lease is coming up soon, which gives them this opportunity to make the switch and to downsize as a strategy. I suspect, regardless of the puffing of the chests of some banks in particular, this is just the start and others will follow suit. I'm sure it's going to be inevitable one way or another. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. As I said on last week's episode of the podcast, uh, I had the pleasure of attending the CUGC in Belfast last week, and my commute to the event ended up uh, being longer, particularly on the way back than I had expected. Uh, I was driving for over eight hours, but that gave me ample time to catch up on some of my favorite podcasts, which includes Run As Radio, and I listened to two episodes in particular that I felt like I should highlight. And that's uh, one with Aiden Finn, where he was talking about the sticker shock that customers get when starting to consume resources in Azure. And he had some really great tips uh, just around Azure cost management and um, sizing things out and predicting costs before making the move into Azure 2. 
Uh, Aiden is just awesome. He's a wealth of knowledge, and he's a fellow Irishman. And gotta support my fellow Irishman. And another great episode was with uh, Aria Carly from Microsoft, and she talked a lot about managing and kind of modernization of managing Windows updates, and also touched on application updates briefly in there too. So definitely check out those two episodes. And if you don't already subscribe to Run As Radio, uh, if you like this podcast, you'll love that one because the production qualities, in my opinion, are much higher than this one. You know, I'm, I'm doing my best here, but <laughs> I've got limited knowledge and somewhat limited resources too. Although I think if you're listening to this podcast, I have been iteratively trying to improve it over the years. And certainly since I've got sponsors on board, uh, I've been able to improve things considerably. Another tip, just like to kind of promote some of my own work, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, but I worked with my colleagues at New Messent on creating an AbV end of life related white paper. So if you're using AbV today and I don't know, maybe you have expertise in AbV, but you're aware that it's maybe time to consider moving to something else, this may be of interest to you. And even if you're just working at an organization and you have have some AbV packages there, but you don't have familiarity with it. And maybe you don't have anyone on the team who has familiarity with the product, but these apps are still out there working and you have no way of moving them forward. Uh, then you'll want to check out this white paper to learn more and how you can handle that AbV end of life. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening.